A basketball hero around here is treated like a god. I mean, how can you ever find out what he could really do? I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. The Keeping the Nostalgia Live show is sponsored by The Dunk Collection. The Dunk Collection connects sports-minded individuals to basketball-inspired home products meticulously designed to help combat life's most mundane chores. Dirty clothes on the floor? Put a dirty dunk on the door. The Dirty Dunk is the original over-the-door basketball hoop laundry hamper designed to make laundry a slam dunk. Do you have a messy office? Try a document dunk. The original trash can basketball stand designed for those who compete in the corporate arena. You're just one shot away from turning your cubicle into the corner office you deserve. Bath time blues? Make bath time fun with the Scrub-A-Dunk, the original basketball hoop for baby ballers. Attach to the tub and Scrub-A-Dub-Dub. The Dunk Collection, making boring chores a slam dunk. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Hopefully you're listening on keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. That's keepingthenostalgialive, all one word, dot podbean.com. Uh, we're closing in on our 150th show of talking to the legends of uh, Indiana high school basketball, be it if they played, uh, coached, officiated, or, you know, contributed in some way. So you can go to keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com uh, and please download any of the episodes that you'd like, listen at your convenience, or, uh, or download or listen anytime you'd like. <clears throat> so with that being said, uh, it's, it's early on this Wednesday morning, and um, uh, we're going to chat with an outstanding basketball official who I doubt in the 1961 Logansport Regional, uh, who where he played for Brookston, ever thought that he would be uh, an official uh, for years and years in the Big Ten and actually officiated the 1977 finals of the IHSAA tournament in which Carmel won that year. Uh, and we're going to chat with Eric Harmon. Mr. Harmon, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to help keep the nostalgia alive and talk about this great game of basketball from the state of Indiana. It's it's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and so uh, let, let's go. What was what was your when was basketball introduced to you as a youngster? And was basketball originally your first favorite sport? Yes, it was my first uh, sport, and Really, we became very competitive in the sixth grade. We had a male uh, sixth grade teacher, Leonard Lucas, and he really got us started. And then the uh, high school principal took us in the uh, middle school, John Hayes. And that's when we became very competitive. And I apologize. I, I also should have said I, sometimes I get blinded by the game of basketball. That's my that's my focus and my passion. But um, also uh, you've done uh, some state uh, a lot of uh, officiating in football and state championship uh, games in uh, Indiana high school football also. So was football around at that time at your high school? No, we only had uh, baseball, basketball, and track and cross country. I guess. But we were a small high school, 
and uh, we did not have football. If someone is looking at the map of Indiana, give us an idea of where you were born and raised. Well, I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. My uh, father was in the service at that time and stationed there, and that's where I was born. We were always from Brookston, but uh, when he was in the service, that's where I was born, and then we moved back to Brookston on the family farm. And if you're if you're if you take us from Indianapolis, how would you get to the uh, Brookston area? Okay, if you would uh, get to Lafayette and take 41, or I mean 421 or 43 right north, Brookston is about oh, 15 miles just north of Lafayette. And and I'm looking at the roster of the uh, uh, Brookston basketball team. I guess uh, uh, athletics ran pretty pretty good through the family. Because was your brother also on your basketball team? Yes, he was. Bruce was on the basketball team. He was a sophomore when I was a senior. And tell us all what was what you know. There was an AAU. I mean, did you guys? Did you guys? Did you at your house? Did at the at the farm? Did you guys have a, a basketball hoop up in the driveway, or uh, how did you guys play basketball when you were growing up? We had a hoop on the uh, side of the the garage, and we would organize games and play there. And then, uh, actually, our minister at the Federated Church there in Brookston. They had a big barn, and they had a uh, goal in upstairs in the barn, and we would have big pickup games there. And then it, on the weekends, if we wanted to get into the Brookston gym to play, we had to take out the coal ashes from the furnace. And as soon as we got all that done, then the uh, Verge Kleppinger would let us uh, go in and play basketball. It sounds like you took a little bit of time. You know, I know how fast life can move. Uh, it sounds like you took a little bit of time, and, and you remember those early days of, uh, of playing basketball on the farm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, that was the only thing going on around Brookston was basketball and then some baseball. But uh, basketball was a big sport. And what was, the, what was your favorite baseball team growing up, and do you still have one now? Oh, yeah. Chicago Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> I live I live in Houston, Texas, and, and they finally got their monkey off their back uh, this uh, past year by winning the World Series. I'm sure you probably enjoyed watching the Cubs win the World Series the year before that. I never missed an inning. That one game, I think, ended about 3 o'clock in the morning, but I was right there rooting for them. Is uh, baseball something that you listen to on the radio? Did you ever go to Chicago and go to Cubs games as a youngster? Oh, yes, yes, I did. Usually we would take the Little League to uh, Wrigley once a year, and that was always a treat to do that. And, and uh, I still go up there maybe once, twice a year. I had the opportunity many times to umpire the Windy City Classic when the big uh, boys did not want to umpire they won the day off and I was working uh, a basketball game in the Big Ten in this uh, TV coordinator her husband was the uh, general manager of the White Sox at that time Evans and um, she said um, she wanted to know if 
if I uh, wanted to work the Cubs-White Sox game there at um, Comiskey. And I said, well, sure, I would do that. So that was quite a thrill to do that. In fact, I did it about, oh, probably at least five times. And uh, it's amazing how good those players are. I had the plate probably at least three of those times. And wherever the uh, catcher put his glove, that's usually where the pitch was going to be. In fact, I have a big uh, uh, plaque here on my office, and um, I took a bunch of State Farm executives with me one time. And after the game, they uh, uh, called me and said, um, are you going to be there? And I said, yes. So they showed up, and they had the lineup cards, and in the background was a picture of the outfield there at Comiskey Park. And on the back, they said, two Hall of Famers, third one, no. Well, it was a picture of me behind the plate. Sandberg was hitting, and Carlton Fisk was catching. And I thought, you know what? I just give you guys a great treat, and now you shame me, saying I wouldn't make it. You, you know, the map, if you looked at the map of Indiana, it's interesting with all the interviews that I've done. And, you know, growing up as a kid, um, my favorite baseball team was the Cincinnati Reds. So you get Cincinnati Reds, you get the Chicago White Sox, you get Chicago Cubs. And then, you know, when the people that I interview from southern Indiana, they always go toward the St. Louis Cardinals. But uh, in Indianapolis, sure. Indianapolis was the Indianapolis Indians. And for years, they had an affiliation with the AAA ball club for the Reds. And, you know, I would see the, some of the Reds that would uh, uh, grow up in the farm system and, and play for the Cincinnati Reds. So I, I loved going to Bush Stadium and, and watching baseball with my grandfather. Yes, that was always, in fact, it's a very nice stadium. We'll go down there, oh, maybe once a year like that. But, uh, no, that's – and Indianapolis has done a very good job of supporting AAA baseball. Yes, they have. Now, <laughs> getting ready to go to Brookston High School, what kind of uh, what kind of tradition did they have in Indiana high school basketball? And before you went to high school, what was kind of what was going on in the state in Indiana high school basketball? What what do you remember? I remember <clears throat> a lot of the teams from up north, Gary, East Chicago, and those uh, being tough, and also around uh, where I am now, Lafayette Jeff was always very good. But um, many years ago, uh, Brookston um, went to the semi-state two years. And, I mean, that was unheard of. They had bonfires. They had the fire truck out, everything like that. And, uh, you know, it was just unheard of that Brookston, a very small school of less than 200 students, would win a regional. And they did this twice. And that was probably the biggest sporting event that ever took place in Brookston. You know, we are always, as kids, we're always kind of like, you know, what do we want to do in life? What do we want to be in life? Uh, it, did you, it, When you were a youngster, what did you want to do? What, what sport was your favorite? Did you see yourself playing basketball? Did you see yourself playing baseball, football? Um, actually, I played one year of baseball at Butler and then transferred to Purdue because I wanted to go into physical therapy. So that was the extent of any collegiate ball for me, was one year of baseball, and Tony Hinkle 
with the baseball coach there. Oh man, that, that uh, you you got to you got to know a legend then, didn't you? Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, so so tell us about once you got to Brookston High School. I mean, uh, did did you uh, were you, were you kind of a scrappy guard? Uh, I mean, uh, tell us about your athletic. I mean, and, and tell us about your uh, athletic uh, uh, play in high school and and what you enjoyed most. I really enjoyed the defense. Um, I uh, was sort of the setup guy. I I got a thrill out of you know being able to pass the ball off and somebody shooting it or something like that. I mean, I could score too, but um, we had a very good player that played guard with me, and I'd like to try to get him the ball because he could flat out shoot it. And uh, when we got beat in the finals of the regional, Logan Sport beat us, and they had a player by the name of Danny Farrell who was very good. And uh, they went all the way and became runner-up in the state. And we had a shot at beating them late in the game, and Danny just took over and beat us. But uh, I was probably pretty feisty out there and uh, really, you know, would mix it up, and I would try to guard the best player on that team. Well, I tried to guard Danny Farrell, and uh, he sort of took it to us that night. You know, when I was doing research for the show, um, I have uh, uh, several different things that I research from, several different resources that I research from. I came across a picture of you, and I may have got this wrong, but you put together a brooding light? Yeah, 4-H. <laughs> now tell tell everybody out there, especially some of the youngsters that will be listening to the show, the show, what was 4-H about, and how how into it, and how how what did you do on the farm for the family? We uh, we actually had uh, livestock, and of course we had crops and all that, and um, you know I just helped out my dad and my uncle, and then. Um, Everybody, I think, that went to school at Bruxton was in 4-H and something, and I took electricity <laughs> and uh, really didn't know much about it, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to be involved and be in 4-H, and uh, that's what I did. You know, the recruiting process and uh, uh, going to college was a, a lot different uh, back when you were coming up. Were there other, I mean, we just uh, talked briefly about you uh, playing at Butler for one year and then transferring to Purdue. Were there uh, other places that you could have possibly have gone and played basketball in college or baseball in college? No, I don't think so. I, um, you know, wanted to go to Butler because obviously it was a good school, things like that. And I, you know... I had my desire. I got to play baseball one year, and then I knew that I wanted to go into physical therapy because I wanted to stay close to sports. So I transferred to Purdue, and the legend Pinky Newell was probably the first athletic trainer in um, the U.S., and I got to work underneath him, and we did all a lot of the taping and things like that. And then when I student taught, I went to Delphi, and Tony Berto, legend football coach, was there, and I was their trainer for that um, fall sport, football, and that really worked out. And then um, when I was getting graduating 
Frontier, Dale Sheets, came to me and wanted to know if I wanted to start the football program at Frontier. And I thought, wow. So we did. And that was my introduction then to Frontier and uh, coaching football. And I stayed there about six years and then uh, had an opportunity to go with State Farm. My dad was going to retire from State Farm. So back at that in that time, you know, a son or a daughter could maybe take over his agency, so I did. And that was a good break for me because I knew in officiating I was beginning to move up and I thought maybe I would have a shot at the Big Ten sometime. So being with State Farm gave me an opportunity to travel if that ever come to fruition, which it did. So I was pretty fortunate that things fell in place. You know, it's interesting what we do, I mean, um, uh, to stay with sports. I mean, when I was uh, at Broderpool High School, I went to Jack Kramer Sports Medicine Camps, so I would become uh, an option to be able to still be kept on the team and, and, you know, still, uh, you know, wrap ankles and stuff like that. It's interesting the links that we go to make sure that we're still associated with athletics, isn't it? Yes, it is. It really is. Now, are there any stories? I, I, I want to kind of you, you roll out. You played baseball at Butler and uh, with Tony Hinkle. Are there are there any stories? Did you enjoy your first year at at, at Butler? And what was Tony Hinkle like? Tony Hinkle was a great person and very personable. And um, you know, I couldn't say enough good about Butler or Tony Hinkle, but I knew that I wanted to get it into athletic training so that's why I transferred to Purdue and of course as I indicated I had an opportunity to work with Pinky Newell who was the legend now now while you played with uh, Hinkle for one year did, did uh, like he did with the basketball team did you guys have mayonnaise sandwiches yeah yeah <laughs> so, that, that was about that was about the extent of your meal <laughs> So if I uh, would slap my leg up on a, a counter, could you wrap my ankles today still? Remember that? Oh, oh yeah. I, in fact, I did that last year for some uh, uh, player for Frontier. She got hurt, sprained an ankle, and I went up and wrapped her on their way to different levels in the tournament. Frontier's got a very good softball team, and she was, you know, a very important cog, and she got to play every game. So you started Frontier Football from scratch? Yes, that is correct. W- what was that like, starting a, a football uh, program from scratch, and what were the, some, uh, was it easy, was it difficult, and you know, can you kind of take us through your, uh, your coaching football those first few years? Well, every big farm boy wanted to come out and play football, and we had some very large players, and, uh, it was interesting because we played um, a JV schedule the first year, and uh, we played Lafayette, Jeff, and Logan Sport were our two toughest JV games. And of course, our uh, fans were almost freaked out. Here comes Lafayette, Jeff up there in a big trailway bus and all this and that, and they get off with 50 players. <laughs> and uh, to tell you how green our people were with football. 
they didn't have any idea that you couldn't walk across the field while we were warming up or something like that. So our fans would just walk across the field. So we had to educate them that, you know, they needed to go around. But um, we lost those two games. And then the next year, we um, only got beat once and played some varsity teams. And then we had some undefeated seasons in there. But I had kids that really wanted to play and their parents really supported the football program. You know, football was a lot different in how the the uh, uh, sectionals and playoffs uh, uh, were were taken care of. What was I mean? Was because football football was di- how how I mean was there a sectional? Was at that point in time was were there the clusters? How did that work? No, no, that was before all that. I mean, when your season was over, it was over with. There was no tournaments or anything like that. And I'll tell you, my last year when we were undefeated, we potentially could have been in the state finals if they would have had a tournament. I had very large kids, and I had a backfield that uh, still has the record at Lafayette Jeff for the uh, 880 relay. So I had some kids that could really fly, and I had good quarterbacks and everything like that. I mean, we were just fortunate with the players that we had you know I, I was you know I, I'm basketball of course is my focus but you know I was fortunate enough to go to a couple when I was a, a youngster going to a couple games uh, and watching the Washington Continentals which Bob Springer was a coach who also went to Purdue right I remember Washington Continentals I think uh, George McGinnis and Downing were there at some point in time yes so, so when does this when does this light uh, uh, pop over your head, and you want to be an official. I mean, when 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 does this get started? How does uh, uh you know uh, uh, take us from the very beginning? And and what was the first sport that you actually officiated? The first sport that I officiated actually was baseball, and then I got into basketball right away. But um, we had a farmer there in Brookston. Johnny Ward, and then I had a very close friend in Monticello, Johnny Fee, and both of them had worked the state finals in basketball, and they were very encouraging for me to get started in sports officiating because they knew how much I love sports. So I would go with them. Back then, the varsity official would work the JV games too. Well, I would go with them, and I would work the JV game and split the um, – you know, the JV game with Johnny would work one and Johnny Fee would work the other half. And, you know, I didn't get paid, but I got a hamburger and a milkshake and, you know, away we'd go. And that's how I got my start. Well, back then, you know, there wasn't any consolidations. And I was having a pretty good year. And the next year I started getting all these varsity games because, I mean, you take Benton Central, for example. Look how many small schools feed into Benton Central. Well, I mean, that's a lot of games to pick up right there. And that's how I got my start and, uh, you know, worked a lot of games. In fact, my first sectional game was at uh, Michigan City. And I don't know, when you fill out the card and send it in, I probably had at least 50 or 60 varsity games, which was a lot. But I wasn't afraid to travel. I mean, one night I might be in Michigan City, the next night I might be in New Albany. 
but um, technically, and the state didn't catch this till after the sectional, I wasn't even certified yet. I was still a registered official, but they saw all the games that I had, and um, I just got a tournament assignment there at Michigan City. And that was a break for me because Dave Perry, who used to be the athletic director in Michigan City, then he was head of the um, NCAA football officiating. Well, he uh, also worked basketball in the Big Ten and also the Mid-American Conference. Um, so he knew my desire to try to move on at that time. Well, back then, the um, all the colleges played a freshman basketball uh, or had a freshman basketball team and then uh, I was working at Purdue one time and uh, the uh, head of Big Ten officiating Herm Rorick just happened to be there and he come in the locker room afterwards and said do you have a desire to you know work in the Big Ten and of course I couldn't get it out of my mouth quick enough I said <laughs> well yes he said well you keep sending your schedule and I'll let you know when uh, you might be ready. So I did that and a couple years later I had been with my dad and we got back and there was a note to call Herm Rory. I thought, what the heck? Well, it was at night when I saw the note so I hardly slept that night and called him first thing in the morning and he said, well, I told you when I thought you were ready I would give you some games, and that's what happened. In fact, one of my very first games was with Charlie Fowdy, and you remember the legend Charlie Fowdy. Yes. Fowdy. Well, he would not fly; he would <laughs> would drive. So he, and this was my first game, and it was Purdue at Iowa, and somebody had gotten hurt. So he said, "Boy, meet me at New Joy Restaurant in Kentland." bring four cigars, I'll drive over and drive back. <laughs> and that was my introduction to Big Ten basketball with Charlie Fowdy. And, and Charlie Fowdy, and I, I take it at that time, was it Carver Hawkeye Arena? Yes. Wow. No, 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 it was not. It okay. Was, it was the old old building. And uh, you had to walk through what I call the John Purdue Club. It was the Hawkeye Club, and I mean... That was brutal walking through there. They uh, heard some pretty nice shots at you. <laughs> so, 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 when was your uh, and and what year was your first uh, when you uh, you you uh, you officiated the Iowa game? What was what what year was that? You know, I can't even tell you now. It's okay. been a long time ago. You'll have to maybe check that out. Okay. But um, it was a great experience, and like Charlie said. As soon as the game was over, we got back in the car, he lit up another cigar, and he dropped me off at Kentland about 4 in the morning. And and what was your schedule like after that? So did the, the, the officiating game just take off after that? Yes. Back then, you were more fortunate than what some of them get today because the Big Ten assigned for a lot of other uh, non-Big Ten schools such as Eastern, Western Illinois, Loyola, DePaul, all of these. So what they would do 
you would get a full schedule of that and they would rate you. And each year the top three rated officials would get to move into the Big Ten and the lower three from the Big Ten conference would probably be dropped. And that's how I got my shot at a full schedule in the Big Ten. I read somewhere where you guys, as officials, almost probably watch more tape than actually uh, basketball players do. Oh, yeah. Back then, uh, with Herm Rorig and then um, a couple of the other coordinators, I mean, the teams would send in tapes of plays that they thought were missed or something like that. I can tell you, um, Bob Knight was deaf about this. I mean, you know, he he was a travel, travel fool. And if you miss several travels, you would have to meet them in the Big Ten office in Chicago and review the film. The problem is Knight would not go. He'd send the, one of his assistants, but we as officials had to go up there. Well, fortunately, I didn't have the honor of doing that. But um, I knew when you had an IU game, you better be watching their feet first because night was nuts on traveling. That that's awesome stuff. What at at the beginning of your officiating career, uh, you were probably paid peanuts. Did peanuts turn into something a little bit more lucrative as you officiated? Oh yes, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like today, and I don't know for sure, but uh, I know back when I first started. I mean, everybody won the comma in their check, you know, $1,100 or something like that. Now they're looking for a comma after about a two or a three. (laughs) So it's pretty lucrative. Have you ever been forgiven for having to cut your vacation short to call the state finals in 1977? And what was that like getting that call, and what was it like to coach or officiate a a state finals basketball game in in the state of Indiana? That was a great honor and a great thrill. I mean, I I was on a State Farm trip when I got the call, and I had to go to the head of State Farm because usually once you're on those trips, you're on your own then to get back. Well... I was going to pay whatever it took to get back, and I got their blessing to get back to Indianapolis. So uh, I did that, and somebody uh, brought uh, one of my daughters back because they were young at that time. So it was myself and my oldest daughter was there, but it was a thrill working there. And and tell us a little bit. I mean, I want to get into the college game, but uh, did you have favorite places that you liked to go and officiate? Did you like? Did you have favorite athletic directors that you would you know like to set up contracts with? And and tell us about some of the coaches that you would officiate against. You know, in Indiana high school basketball. I mean, a good place to go would be up north, all the time. You know, the Gary schools, East Chicago, and. Honestly, it was probably a break because I went up there a lot, and of course they would send in ratings, and uh, before you would get your tournament assignment, all the ratings were compiled down at the IHSAA. When you were up there, they didn't care about officiating. They wanted you to throw the ball up high and get out of the way because they were going to play their style of ball. 
so you know unless you really screwed something up you were going to probably come up with a pretty good rating so I was always fortunate to be um, have a lot of games up north where officiating was secondary now you come down the middle of the state I mean every little call means something to those people but being up north like that uh, they didn't care you just show up and hope you get out of there what at what point in your officiating career did you have to thicken your skin or or, or not have your feelings hurt and and how did you how did you do that I mean you know in officiating somebody's going to be critiquing you all the time and if you can't take you know criticism or constructive criticism then you probably need to get out um and like you say, even in high school back there, sometimes we would be able to get a film and see, well, you know, why didn't I see that? Where was I looking? Or something like that. But um, I think that's a big thing in officiating at all levels today. Some of the officials are bigger than the game, and they don't want to have any constructive criticism or anything like that. Well, fortunately for me, I mean, I'm always looking for help. So if somebody has something to offer, I'm going to listen. That doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, believe in it, but I, certainly I'm not going to turn their my face. I'm going to listen to them and then uh, consider what they say, and probably they're doing it trying to help me. So, you know, I'm going to make some adjustments or something like that. But back then... A lot of the small schools, I mean, they were packed in there and, you know, you'd trip over their feet because people sitting on the front row, that was the out-of-bounds. So it was a big learning experience when I first started. And the 1977 Final Four was a, 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 a pretty good one. Yes, between Carmel and uh, East Chicago. I never will forget it because I worked with the mayor of Gas City, Gene Lynn, and he's since passed away but um, we uh, we had a jump ball late in the game in East Chicago and I don't I can't remember if, who the player was anyway he tipped it the wrong way and uh, Carmel grabbed the ball and laid it in that was the game you know there's all this is going to be I, I, I know with all, all the years that you've done this this may be difficult to answer but I, this is a question of my own which is you know you have back then and you have newspapers today you have the internet is it something that an official stays away from a, a reading about a team a reading about a coach so that you don't go in with a, 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 a you know a bias and how do you keep bias out of uh, the job that you did so well for so many years it sometimes it's difficult because you know some coaches are tough to handle others aren't um, so you just got to go in there with an open mind and what what you have to remember as an official the game is for the players it's not for the fans the coach or myself or anything else it's for the players so you want to try to give them the best effort you can give them that day and you know, it doesn't matter what happened the last game. Sure, you have some ideas there. Maybe somebody's pretty aggressive, or maybe there's some cheap shots, or the coach is ranting and raving. 
but you've got to let happen what happens. You can't go in there with a preconceived idea that, well, I'm going to get this coach right away. You know, you can't do that. Or this player may, uh, you know, be pushing a lot or something like that. Let the game happen, and then when it does and there's a violation or a foul, then you need to address it. And and what what coaches you know in your uh, in your fantastic career were you know uh, were the roughest to kind of officiate, but then at the end of the game or or during life you you kind of almost created a a friendship or uh, they they respected you and re- you respected them. Well, one of the toughest coaches probably was up in East Chicago, Johnny Barato. He he was pretty tough, but. You know, you'd see him in the summertime or something like that. It was like he was your long-lost friend. Um, some of the <laughs> small schools, yeah, some of the small schools around here, I mean, the coaches were tough because basketball back then was so big and that was the only thing going on in Brookston or Rossville or something like that that every every game meant the world to those people. And and like a like you know I found several pictures of uh, you and Coach Gene Cady uh, really gnawing at each other, but it, that that relationship is not like that. No, I mean once Gene Cady got through the game, it was usually over with. Now the guy <laughs> south Lafayette, no, no, that was never over with. He had a mind like an eagle. He could remember plays from three years ago he'd want to talk to you about it now I, was, I told him one time this isn't a history class let's, let's play ball <laughs> you, you, you actually told him that yeah, oh yeah <laughs> that's awesome course, uh, he, uh, he would always get I knew when he was mad because he would say give me some shot about Purdue because he knew I graduated from there. I just keep on moving. <laughs> and and speaking of that, what what would get you to the point where you would have to, you know, in- intervene and toss a tech? Was there was there certain certain uh um uh, words or comments that would be made that you would tee somebody up or did you feel like you uh, kind of kept that in check most of your career? I I was the type that probably kept it in check most of the time. Now, if they, uh, you know, give me some personal shot like you, SOB, well, I mean, everybody's going to call that. But I tried to stay away from them a little bit. When I knew they were upset or something like that, I didn't try to linger in front of them and show them who was going to be the biggest person, whether it was going to be the coach or myself. I just didn't think there was any place for that in basketball. Now, you see some of the officials today, they'll they'll really challenge the coach, and you know then you've got a problem. And I didn't want to have that problem. Yes, I wasn't afraid to call technical fouls or something like that, but uh, it better be warranted. Just because he's barking at you or something like that, stay away. Officiate the game. Now, if it really becomes an interference, then you've got to take care of business, and it's just like a travel call, double dribble, or something like that. You have a tech, then you move on. 
you don't carry it on mentally with yourself or you know in the game just let the game proceed on how do you as an official because you and how many other officials are calling the game are probably one of the most disliked people on the arena on that specific day how how did you block out the crowd and and i know i've read stuff where you've probably been tossed stuff at and and hollered at and called everything in the book how how do you handle that and is it kind of the same way that you handle coaches yes i mean you know if you were going to get into big time officiating uh, you're not going to have many friends out there, and they're always going to be on you. And uh, probably the toughest thing is when that um, visitor is beating the home team. I mean, you've got to stay focused and call a game the same way the first minute of the game or the last minute of the game. And uh, sometimes some officials that are newer, I mean, they begin to wilt a little bit. Well, you can't do that because that's that takes away from the team that has earned the right to win. And you, and I always tell the young officials, don't change your style of officiating. If a team's up, you know, and potentially could win the game, don't let the team that is behind become more aggressive and take the game away. And you sit there and not call the fouls. I mean, you've got to officiate the game the same way all the time. Um, some some of the arenas in the Big Ten are pretty tough to officiate in. Um, I'll tell you one of the toughest ones was at Minnesota. And of course, that old barn there. I mean, you have to walk upstairs to get onto the floor, and you know the coaches' bench and all is below um, court level. But the big thing about Minnesota. You knew at halftime if they were in your favor or not. I'm talking about the fans. And they had a very nice creamery there. And, I mean, the ice cream cones were unbelievable. Well, where you walked down, I mean, you had to go down probably 10, 12 steps down to the locker room. Well, those guys in the second or third balcony there, they'd hang over and just let that ice cream cone drip on you if they didn't like what I mean, there was one time we had to literally shower at halftime. We were so sticky. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever have, at any of your games, be it at high school level or college level, did you ever, were you always, you know, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get out? Did you ever have a fear for your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes... Uh, you know, going up north or something like that, um, you had a police escort all the time. Um, they, uh, I know one time when I had the Gary sectional, that was when there was a lot of turmoil in the United States. And they told me, said, you do not get out of your car until the police officers come out there and walk you in. And then, uh, even when I showered, a police officer was in the, the doorway of the shower, and then they took me back out and got me on the interstate, and away we went. But um, that was probably, you know, pretty tough situation because I hadn't been there for a tournament before, and that was downtown in the old auditorium. Every once in a while, you'd be running down the floor, and, man, you'd feel a breeze 
Oh, that was some uh, drunk they had just thrown out of the auditorium back out on the street or something like that. But uh, that's probably the most security I've had was working that high school tournament there in Gary. What was it like to fit you? I mean, officiating all three sports, basketball, football, and baseball. Was it, it when you were on a roll doing basketball, how, uh, what kind of changes or adjustments would you have to make from going from basketball to football or, you know what I mean? Did you, uh, was it an adjustment you had to make with uh, calling a basketball game and then having to do a football game? Probably the worst adjustment would be when I would go from basketball to baseball. And uh, if uh, if I were working the bases, baseball, I mean, that's where you get in trouble because you get the daydreaming out there because I'm used to a fast-paced situation in basketball. So early on, I really volunteered to work the plate all the time so I could stay in it and have a lot of action. You know, you're one of the you're one of the few people that I've interviewed that I'm assuming you have a SAG card, a Screen, a screen Actors Guild card. Yeah, yeah, from <laughs> the movie Blue Chips. Tell tell us how that comes about, how that uh, comes about, and how uh, was it fun or uh, exciting or what? Tell us tell us about your Blue Chips experience and how it came about. Well, I knew early on that they were going to have a movie in Indiana. And it was going to be at Frankfurt, Indiana, but we didn't think anything about it. And we were working a game at IU. And after the game, um, the writer, Billy Freakin, come in and said, would you guys want to be in the movie? And we said, oh, yeah, yeah. We laughed when he, he left because we thought, well, that'll never happen. Well, about... <laughs> A week later, we get a contract from uh, Hollywood saying, um, you know, we want you to uh, officiate the games and things like that. Well, a lot of the players that played in the game, we knew them. And a lot of the coaches, you know, we knew them too. But um, that was actually five games played just like a regular game. And what they did, they picked parts out of each one. But there wasn't anything staged in there or anything like that. It was just games. And Frankfurt is a pretty good-sized high school gym. And they were scalping tickets outside to get in to see those games. And like I say, they played one game each night, Monday through Friday, and then took parts out of it. But, I mean, it, it was a great experience. I know one thing, I wouldn't want to be an actor because outside of the basketball games, sometimes they would go over different parts many, many times. Well, you know, with us officiating basketball, you just called it a normal game and moved on. So it was fun. Shoot, and that was almost 23 years ago. How time flies. Oh, I know. Right. And so my question is, do you, do, uh, and probably everybody thinks you get a big royalty check once a month from that movie, right? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I believe that's long gone. I got some decent money to start with, and then it kept dwindling down. And I know a few years ago I was getting a check every quarter, and it might be 8 $9. <laughs> 
Um, what I know uh, you have, you, I know you're a busy person, so I got a couple of last questions here. It, 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 when was the last game that you officiated? <laughs> I know it was a tournament game, NCAA tournament game out east. Um, <laughs> I believe it was Duke. Who was the big center for Navy that uh, played Pro Bowl? Uh, Robinson? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I believe that was the last game, and I hadn't planned on that. And then is when they, um, that summer, they called me and wanted to know if I would be the coordinator for the MAC and the um, Horizon League at that time, or Mid-Continent. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know what, I'll do that. Well... It was good, but I probably should have stayed officiating because, I mean, the money wasn't real good. You were traveling all the time, and nobody was ever happy with the assignments that you made. I mean, how many people would get good games? And I said, well, what do you mean a good game? Every game is a good game. <laughs> So that was always, I mean, when you were dealing with the athletic directors and the uh, coaches and sometimes a president would get involved or something like that, it's just, it's a tough job. And, I mean, you can't do anything, you know, if somebody misses a call or something like that. Now, if they, you know, have a rule violation and they don't call or something like that, then I have to step in. But, um, you know, at that level, usually they're not going to blow rules. Ooh. Now, they can miss calls. What was your favorite memory out of all the years that you officiated? What was your what was your favorite game to do or, or your favorite memory? Probably one of the greatest memories. I had an NCAA game in uh, uh, Rosemont. And it was California with Jason Kidd playing uh, Duke. And they had Bobby Hurley. And Duke was number one in the nation. And, I mean, you couldn't even hear in that place. It was like a high school tournament game in Indiana. Half of the people were for California and half of them were for uh, Duke. And California upset them. And afterwards, we were down the bottom of um, Rosemont, just cooling our heels, getting dressed and talking, and nobody can come down there because, you know, they have policemen that would not let anybody down there. And all of a sudden, somebody knocked on the door, and I thought, well, that's strange. So I go over and open the door, and it was Krzyzewski. And he said, guys, we just got beat. We were number one in the nation, just got beat. You guys worked a great game. Turned around and left. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. And within your whole career, I know you talked about uh, the East Chicago coach, but who was the guy that in in perception is like this big, just uh, bear, but come to find out this coach or this person is like a, a soft teddy bear and has no bite? Um, well, I mean, Jim Dutcher was always a great person, or uh, Dr. Uh, Davis out there. 
and I can't think of the coach's name now that used to be at Ohio State. He was at Boston College before. Uh, O'Brien? Yeah. Yeah. I could not do one thing right. <laughs> not one thing. I mean, when the game started, he was on me from the word go. And I really don't know why, because I had Boston College a couple times in the Big East and never had any problems. Um so I don't know what the deal was, but I know one thing. He didn't like me at all. <laughs> that was always difficult to get an assignment at Ohio State when Jim Bryan was there. And, you know, the way I officiated, I just tried to stay away from him as much as I could. I mean, one time he was getting beat. He was getting thumped, and he was really on us. And I looked at him and I said, Coach, let me tell you, I've got one right now in my pocket, and you'll never know when I'm going to use it. <laughs> uh, co- or, uh, <laughs> I'm so used to people calling them coach. Eric, um, tell us a little bit about your kids. Do you have grandkids? Yes, I've got three daughters and six grandchildren. And so is that where all your money goes today, is to the grandchildren? Hey, that's about right. <laughs> I mean... Some of them have been in college golf. Some of them are swimming right now. Others are playing volleyball, so that gets pretty expensive. So do you still work a lot for State Farm, or do you, uh, is it full-time, or is it, uh, do you ever plan to retire? No, no. I've got a good staff person, so um, I'm hanging in there. I've been with State Farm as an agent 45 years, go on 46, and I'm in here every day if I don't have a baseball game in the spring. If you could do anything different in your officiating career, what would you have done? I probably would have stayed officiating instead of being a coordinator of officials. And did you ever have the opportunity, with the thought ever cross your mind about uh, doing professional basketball? No, it never did. And the reason why, if if that were the case, I would have had to give up the agency with State Farm, and that uh, that wasn't going to happen. And what do you think of the state of Indiana high school basketball today compared to what it was when you were growing up? Well, back then, obviously, you didn't have class basketball. So, I mean, Brookston was fortunate that we uh, won a couple regionals before my time or before I started playing, but usually that doesn't happen. Now, I know Milam, you know, upset, who was a Christmas Addicts one time, but it usually doesn't happen. But my thing to the people, because I'm from a small school, what makes the difference if you're a 4A state champ or a 1A state champ? You're still a state champion. And uh, if somebody tells me, you know, they play it on a state championship team. I'm not going to say, well, was it a one or a two or a three or a four or a five A? It doesn't matter. They were state champs. Eric Harmon, uh, official for uh, years in the Big Ten, has done championship games in Division Two, II, Division Three. has done the big dance, uh, did the 1977 Indiana High School State Finals. Um, thank you so much for your time. I know you got an appointment coming up. I appreciate it, and I think everyone's going to enjoy the program. I thank you for your time. Okay, thank you.